0: If you have your Bibles with you now, would you turn to Luke chapter 24? As you guys might have guessed, we're going to be talking about Easter today. There's always two sermons you can predict every year in the church, Easter Sunday and then Christmas. If they're not talking about Jesus being born or Jesus raising from the dead on those days, you might want to find a new church. So, how many of you guys today, after church, you're hitting the road, you're going to see parents, grandparents, kids, something like that? Anybody? Yeah, Me too. That's kind of the Easter tradition for us. My whole life, I thought once I grew up and had kids, I wouldn't do that. People would come to me. No, you still travel. And so, right after church, we'll be hitting the road, going to Kalamazoo to visit my in-laws. And uh, this has been the long tradition my entire life is Easter Sunday, you get dressed up in scratchy clothes that are too tight on you. And then afterwards, you go to grandma's house. But what would happen for us is my grandma lived a couple hours away. And when you're a kid, that seems like forever. So we go to the early service, because we had two services. We go get up really early, the sunrise. Actually, when the sun would rise, we had a service, which is a terrible idea for little kids. But we would go to that one, so then we could do the two-hour drive to St. Joe, Michigan, to go visit my grandparents'. So we get there, and right after the service was done, instead of letting us go eat cookies or go hang out with our friends like we normally would, my dad just went into go mode. And I was like, get the kids, put them in the van, and we're going. And so was like, Dad, I have to go to the bathroom. He's like, nope, we're going. And they're like, Dad, I'm hungry. We're going. And so he'd just throw us all in the van, and we'd get there, and we'd be going. And about five minutes into it, one of us would invariably have to go to the bathroom because we didn't get the chance to before. And my dad has a lot of great qualities. I love him to death. He's going to listen to this online tomorrow, so I've got to be careful about what I say. But his, he didn't have compassion for those of us with small bladders. And so you'd be in there, and you'd already have fear and trauma built up from past experiences with him because he knew if he had to go to the bathroom, he wasn't going to stop. So that makes you feel like you have to go to the bathroom. So no matter what, you like, Dad, I really got to go. We got to stop. He's like, we're almost there. Dad, we're not out of our driveway yet. We're almost there. You know? <laughs> like, there was no stopping. And you're starving because you have to miss out on lunch, but he wouldn't let you get food because you've got to make time. And then also you can't spoil your appetite. You, know, you had to get there and you had to have grandma's meal that she's prepared for you. So you're wearing uncomfortable clothing. You're tired. Uh, you have to go to the bathroom and you know nobody's going to stop for you, so you're probably going to wet yourself. And uh, it's just like a bad day. You're starving to death there too. And I remember thinking this surely can't be in keeping with the fine tradition of the spirit of Easter. (laughs) Like, this can't be the way that it was envisioned to be. But what I began to find out as I got a little bit older was that, although that might be a different set of circumstances, that first Easter wasn't a happy day. It was a day that though now we look back at it and we celebrate it and we see what happened for the people, for the disciples that were there for the first Easter they didn't know what was going on. And so we read the story in chapter uh, 24 of Luke, starting in verse 13 or 15, I don't remember, about how some disciples are walking down the road after, the, uh, after Easter's happened. They're not really aware of what's going on, but they're going back home. And so it says in Luke 24, 13 through 25, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about the things that had had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them in the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them, and when they were at the table with them, he took the bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? While he opened to us the scriptures, and they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened to them on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So what's been happening is that the disciples had just gone through absolutely the worst week of their lives. As they're walking down this road on the first Easter, They aren't filled with joy. They're not celebrating the resurrected Jesus. They're heartbroken. They're filled with sorrow. They just watched their friend Jesus die on a cross. The one who they loved more than anybody else. They watched him tortured. They watched him crucified. They saw him die. They saw him be buried. And now they're going on carrying this burden and the, the, the pain that comes from losing someone that is so close to you. And they're walking around and they have these questions. They're disillusioned. They're, they're trying to figure out how it is that all of these things could have happened. They're confused. They're depressed. They don't know what on earth is going on. And as they're walking down this seven-mile stretch of road from Jerusalem to Emmaus, they're talking these things through with each other. And as they're talking and they're hurt and their brokenness and their confusion, it says that Jesus draws near to them. And he begins walking down the road with them. And he even asked them the question, what are you guys talking about? Uh, How many of you guys know Jesus doesn't ask you a question because he wants to know the answer? (laughs) He knows the answer. He wants you to know an answer. Jesus asks them the question because he wants them to know what it is that they're truly talking about. And so they look at him dumbfounded. They're like, "Are you abs- first of all, who are you and what are you doing here? This is kind of a private conversation we're having here. It'd be like if you're, you know, bearing your heart to someone and some stranger just comes and he's like, hey guys, so how's it going? If you ever had that? You're just having a terrible day. And someone comes up and they're like, hey, how's it going? Good to meet you. Because that's what we do socially. And then you have that decision, like, I can't just bear my heart to this person. I can't tell, well, actually, to tell you the truth, this is the worst day of my life, and here's what's going on. Because are like, whoa, whoa, I didn't actually want to know. This is just a cultural formality that we have. You're supposed to lie to me and say everything's okay, and then we go on our merry way. And so they're sitting there. It says they just stand still. They don't know how to respond. They're just looking sad. But they're finally like, oh, man, if we're talking about everything that's happened. What else do you think we're talking about? And so Jesus is like, well, what are these things? And so finally they're like, man, are you the only guy in the whole world that doesn't know what's going on here? So they walk them through it, and they're talking about how Jesus of Nazareth, I love, they're telling Jesus about Jesus. <laughs> There's a, a band called Metallica, and uh, actually funny, Jason Newstead, their bass player, he actually their old bass player, his mom w- would counsel at the camp that my dad ran. She was on fire for Jesus. She loved Jesus. And so Jason would come out while she was doing camp with my dad and he'd always just come visit his mom and nobody really knew who he was. He was just that weird guy with the long hair wearing a Metallica shirt, which is kind of weird wearing a Metallica shirt when you're in Metallica. But... <laughs> He'd always just be there. And I remember watching one time this kid came up to him. He was talking, he's like, oh yeah, Metallica, I love them. They're so awesome. I love blah, blah, blah. The guitar player and the drummer are so great. I'm like, dude, you're talking to the bass player. You're not saying anything about how awesome the bass is to the bass player. (laughs) But sometimes, this is that same kind of situation. They're telling Jesus about Jesus. And they're telling Jesus You know, we we came into town about a week ago, it was, on Palm Sunday, and everybody's excited. They're like, Jesus, our Savior, the Redeemer, he's come. And people are throwing robes and palm branches down on the road. They're celebrating him. They're worshiping him. Things are going awesome. This is the best day of our life. And then shortly after that, he's arrested. He's betrayed by one of their own and their own group of disciples. He's put on trial. He's condemned to death. He's crucified on a cross, he dies, and he's buried. And they say this thing that I think is so telling. They say, we had hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel. They had hoped that Jesus was the Son of God. They had hoped that Jesus was the promised Messiah, the one who would put this broken world back together because it doesn't matter who you are. We can all agree on the fact that we live in a broken world. Every person from every race, every nation, every tongue, every religion, we all agree that this is a broken world that we live in. And so they're looking at Jesus and they think, this is the one, he's coming, he's going to put everything back together, he's going to make everything right again. But instead of doing that, he died on a cross. And he was buried in a tomb. And everything that we had hoped for died with him. And now to make matters even stranger, they said this very morning, some of the women in our company, they came to us and they said that they went to the tomb to spice his body to prepare it for the long-term burial. And they came back saying that they had seen an angel who told them that Jesus was not there anymore but that he was alive. And so they went to investigate it. But when they got to the tomb, they didn't find anybody there. They just found an empty tomb. In some of the other uh, books of the Bible, it says that they considered it to be idle tales. They thought that the women were lying to them. They thought maybe the stress of it has gotten to them. They're just wanting this so badly that it's become a reality for them psychologically. But the disciples find themselves completely broken in their hearts. They have gone through the loss of their friend. They've gone through the loss of the one who was the Savior, they thought. And they find themselves searching. They're saying, how could this have happened? How could God have allowed this? How could we have believed that he was the Messiah? How could we have put our hope and our faith and our trust in him? He died. He wasn't who we thought he was. And now what do we do with our lives from here? And so what they're doing is they're heading back to Emmaus. What happened with the disciples is after Jesus died and was buried and even after he rose, they still didn't really know what to do. They didn't believe it at first. And so they all just start scattering, like we're going back to life as normal now. We're going to go home. We're going to go back to being fishers farmers, whatever it was, they're going back to life now after Jesus. But it's on this road when they're not in a condition that you would think a disciple of Jesus would be in, where psychologically, emotionally, even physically, they're just worn, they're beaten, they're full of heartache and brokenness, they're filled with doubt, they're filled with questions, they're searching. And it's in this situation, it's in this mindset, this heart condition, that Jesus comes and he draws near to them. Isn't that beautiful? See, what happens is we think that for God to draw near to you, you have to have the answers. You have to know, you have to be strong, you have to be filled with faith. But that's not what we see. What we see is in the brokenness, in the heartache, in the questioning, in the doubts, Jesus draws near to them. And he comes and he walks alongside of them. He doesn't leave them on their own. He's right there next to them, shoulder to shoulder with them, walking this lonely road with them together. And Jesus doesn't condemn them. He doesn't chastise them. And he says, you know, oh, slow of heart. That doesn't mean that they're foolish like we use that today. It just means you don't have understanding. Like, you don't get it yet. But Jesus comes alongside of them and he begins to speak to them. And it says he begins to unlock the scripture and he begins to explain to them that all of these things had to happen. That just because Jesus died didn't mean that he wasn't the Christ. In fact, that's a pretty good qualifier for him being the Christ because it says that there had to be someone, the Christ, the chosen one of God would come and that he would suffer many things and that he would be led like a lamb to slaughter. And then he even gets to talk to them about how it's said that he wouldn't stay dead, but that he would rise again on the third day. Jesus reminds his disciples, said, Remember when Jesus said that he would rise again on the third day? And so what he does is he starts building faith inside of them. Jesus starts encouraging them. He doesn't come and say, You idiots, I should have picked better people. Seriously, this is the 12 people I've got to work with now? I should have picked a better team. But what he does is he comes to them and he begins to speak to them. He encourages them. He begins to not just give them one big answer that solves everything, but he starts bringing clarity into the situation. He starts comforting them in the brokenness and in the heartache that they find themselves in. And as they are listening to Jesus, faith begins to rise inside of them. And this is what I love about this is that, remember, Jesus just rose from the dead. He just got done tearing down the gates of hell, beating up the devil, and taking you know, all the captives and leading them to heaven. Like He's been a busy guy. He is the Lord. He is the creator of all. He is the ruler over all things. And yet he takes the time to personally come to them He doesn't say, hey, guys, get your act together. If you want to be able to come and hang out with me, then you need to make sure that you need to build up your faith. You can't have so many questions. You can't have doubt inside of you. Guys, shape up or ship out. He comes to them, to the disciples, and systematically, the God of all of the universe, the creator of all things, personally comes down and he begins to draw near to his people. It started with the women at the tomb. They're coming there and they're heartbroken. Jesus doesn't come and say, I can't believe you thought I was dead. What's wrong with you guys? Don't you, know, don't you ever listen to me? He comes to them and he encourages them. He reveals himself to them. And with Peter, he comes to them and appears to them. Even with Thomas, the one that's like, hey, you know what, I'll never believe Jesus is alive. And they're like, well, what would it take? Well, if I can put my finger in the holes in his hands and his feet, then I'll believe. And so what does Jesus do? He's like, here I am. Here's some holes. Start poking. He doesn't say, how dare you have doubt. He draws near to him in his doubt. I love that about God. And what happens is, as Jesus does this, for them on the road to Emmaus, something begins to happen inside of their hearts. And then they have this moment where he breaks the bread and they recognize that the person that they see in front of them, the one who's drawn near to them, is Jesus. The resurrected Jesus, that he isn't dead, that truly he lives, that he has conquered the grave. And that means that he is God, that he is Savior, that he is the promised Messiah. It means that we can know God. It means that our sins have been forgiven. All of these things now, it opens up this possibility of what life can be because of who Jesus is and what he's done. A resurrected Jesus changes everything for us. And so this group of depressed, doubtful, heartbroken people, they get up and they run all the way back to Jerusalem. The seven miles, they just walked seven miles, it's nighttime, so like, okay, let's, let's go inside and eat. They see that it's Jesus, he disappears, and they freak out because all of the heartache, all of the questions, all of the troubles in all of the world, those things become minuscule in comparison when you have that revelation of who Jesus is. When Jesus comes to you, when he draws near to you, when he walks alongside of you on the lonely road and he encourages your heart, he reveals himself to you, it fills you with a new joy, it fills you with a new passion, and you will come out of that. You might have been depressed, you might have been hurt, everything else in the world, but in one instant, your life changes and they go running back, filled with joy. They're celebrating, they're dancing, running seven miles. I don't think I could do that. My, I would take Jesus appearing to me to run seven miles like that in them in the middle of the night. But their life was changed in an instant. Everything about them changed because Jesus was alive, because Jesus was who he said he was, because we have a Messiah. We have a hope, and his name is Jesus. And in the same way today, just like Jesus was doing for these disciples as he was drawing near to them in their brokenness and in their questioning, Jesus is drawing near to us. It wasn't something that he did just for a couple of people. Jesus is systematically going through this earth, and he's drawing near to people in their brokenness, in their heartache, in their suffering. And he's speaking to you and he's encouraging you. He's unlocking things for you to lead you to the place where you recognize who Jesus is. And the first way that we see God draw near to us is in our hurting. It's in the places of our lives that are hurt that Jesus draws near to us. Have you ever found yourselves like the disciples where there is a hole in your heart that is so gaping and so raw you've lost someone that you loved? You've seen a marriage that's fallen apart? Uh, you've seen the death of a dream that you had? There's been a, You haven't ended up where you thought you would be in life? There are things that come along. There is going to be hurt in your life. That's something we all share in common. That's a part of the human experience. We are going to be hurt, and not just once. There will be multiple hurts that come in our life. But the good news is that Jesus knows what it's like to hurt. I love in Hebrews, it says that we have a high priest who identified with us in everything, that he experienced the things that we experience. So we look at God, we say, God, you know what it's like to lose someone you love. Jesus, you lost your friend Lazarus and you wept for him. God the Father, you know what it's like to lose a son. You watched your only son crucified for the sins of the world. Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed. When Judas, someone that he invested in and loved for three years, knowing full well what he was going to do, but still he loved him unconditionally, and yet he was betrayed by one of his best friends. Jesus knows what it's like to be sick. He knows what it's like to see other people be sick. He knows what it's like to have failed expectations. He's gone through it all. He's identified with us in all of the heartache of our life. And he draws near to you. Let me tell you, I love having friends that come up and they say, hey, I don't know what you're going through, but I'm here for you. That's an encouragement to me. But when I come to someone and they've gone through what it is that I'm going through, that speaks to my heart a lot more that brings a lot more comfort because I can look at them and say, you went through this, but you emerged on the other side of it. And this is what Jesus does. He comes to you in your heartache and he says, I know it hurts. I've been through it. And because I've been through it, I know what it is that you need to get through it. I've gone down this path before and I know how to lead you through it. But not only is he the God who identifies with you and understands the hurt that we go through, but he's the one that takes the hurt away. He's the one who is the comforter. He is the one that has the ability to bring peace to your hearts so that whatever hurt it is, whatever trial it is that you go through, Jesus is able to walk with you through it. He draws near to you and he brings you the comfort and the peace that only he can bring to you. And number two, he draws near to us in our searching. We have this idea in our culture that questions are a weakness. That if you don't have the answer to something, that you need to hide that because we want to pretend like we know the answers for everything, right? Have you ever been in a conversation and someone's talking about something, you're like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm, yes, <laughs> the third ion that's negatively charged, yes, <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. yeah, obviously, I don't know what you didn't think about that before, but you have no idea what they're talking about, but you're just like, oh, yeah, because you don't want to look like an idiot. <laughs> yeah. hey, can you tell me, first of all, what an ion is and what a charging is? Is that something I can do manually? Is that AC current or how do we... Because you don't want to look like a fool, so you don't want to pretend like you have questions. And we do that in church. Oh, my goodness. We're scared to have a question in church. We don't want to seem like we don't know everything. Have you ever like, done Bible trivia with people and you have no idea what's going on? Oh, yeah, the third Maccabees. Well, I didn't make the final cut, so that's not in there. When someone asks you the question, like, why do bad things happen to good people? So you have to have this answer, like, oh, well, you know, there's sin that's entered into the world, and blah, blah, blah. now people have free will, blah, blah, blah. It's like, you know what? I've gotten to the point of where, after counseling enough people and walking with them through grief, when they say, why did this happen? I'm honest, and I say, I can't tell you. I don't know why these things happen. And you know what I've discovered? is that it's not as important all the time for us to have the answer to the question, as it is to have Jesus walk through, with us through the question. See, these disciples, they, they didn't know Jesus was alive. They have horrible theology. They think Jesus is dead. And then they don't understand, well, why is it that you had to die? Why is it that you let us think that you were dead for three days? You didn't even call? I mean, there are questions that they had. There are questions that those who walked with Jesus had, and they went to meet Jesus with these questions. Paul, the greatest writer of the New Testament, says, look, right now we see the world like through a lens that's dimly lit. We don't have all the answers. We don't know the whys of everything that occurs. But we do have the answer of Jesus. We do have the hope that is in Jesus so that no matter what the questions, no matter what the doubts are that you have, Jesus isn't repulsed by these things. Jesus isn't like, I can't handle your questions, get away from me. He draws near to you in those questions that you have and the doubts that you have. And he begins to bring clarity to you in those questions. Our God's big enough to handle some questions. We, don't have to, we need to make sure that our pride isn't so big that we can't have a few questions ourselves. And we need to make sure that when other people have questions, that we don't always have to have all the answers for them. You know what I do know? I do know that Jesus is the Savior. I know that he's the only way to God. I know that he paid the price for my sins. But if you ask me how, I had someone ask me this week about the Trinity and like how that all works. I'm like, oh, I can like give you a doctrinal statement, but I don't know exactly. I can't figure that out. How is it that God's always been existing? I don't know. I don't have the answers for everything, but I do have Jesus. You know, it was two years ago that I went through one of the most difficult periods of my life. And it was watching my father-in-law, who I, I dearly loved, uh, suffer through colon cancer, and watching his health decline to deteriorate, seeing the incredible pain that he was on, and, and took all of the strongest medications that you could for pain and still couldn't touch it. It was just a horrible situation. And then for three days, we sat there waiting for him to die in his bedroom. And we're, you know, keeping watch over him because it's going to be any minute. And then finally, after three days, we're just so tired that we have to go to sleep. So Ann and I go home and we lay down in our bed. And I remember I just broke. And I was so incredibly hurt at watching this man that I love so much. Such a godly man who had done so many incredible things over his life, who had invested in so many people. And then I had to watch him from afar because I was planning this church and I couldn't be there for him in his hour of need. And I remember it being like, just hurt more than I've ever been hurt before in my entire life. And I remember the question of like, God, how on earth could this be happening to him? How could this be happening to me? Jesus, where are you in all of this? I need you. And Jesus wasn't put off by my lack of faith He wasn't put off by the heartache that I was experiencing. In that moment, as I sobbed in my bed, he drew near to me. There have been other times in my life where the death of a dream, relationships falling apart, getting fired from jobs, even ministry jobs. Nothing feels good to a pastor like getting fired from a church. That makes me feel like, God's going to use me in big ways. (laughs) There's been moments of tears in my life. There's been moments of question. There's been moments of doubt. But in every one of those, I have experienced God's presence and his grace and his mercy and his love for me more than I've ever experienced them in the high times of my life. Because Jesus isn't pushed away in our brokenness. He draws near to us. And he walks with us down the lonely road. He comforts us. He brings healing to us. And he brings clarity and he brings us a peace and the assurance that even though we might not understand everything that's going on, God loves me so much and he's so good and that I have the hope of a resurrected Savior. And then the third way that he draws near to us is in the burning in our hearts. Now the disciples, I love how this, after Jesus disappears and they realize that God, Jesus was sitting there and he was talking to them and they say, weren't our hearts burning within us? As he was speaking to us, what happened was, as Jesus began to speak to them, something stirred up inside of their hearts. It wasn't factually what they were learning about God and his plan for salvation and his plan for them. It was that something was stirring inside of their spirits that led them to the point of where they put their faith in Jesus and knew that they could trust him and follow him. And the same thing happened to me. I can remember that moment where after Jesus had been walking alongside of me down my road in life, I didn't realize that he was leading me home, but that's where he was taking me. And I remember that moment of where there was a fire that was burning inside of my heart and what made me come to the point of where I recognized who Jesus was and when I saw him for who he was for the first time wasn't that I had this factual information that someone had presented to me there wasn't a 10-point presentation that anyone gave me. It wasn't because I researched the historical Jesus and all of that stuff. It was because there was a fire that was burning in my heart that was ignited by the words that God was speaking to my spirit. And that fire has never gone out. And it never will. And for every one of us, that's how it happened. It wasn't because some pastor got up there in a suit and a tie on Easter and they told you about Jesus. It was because God lit a fire inside of your heart. There's nothing that I can say that would ever convince you that God truly does love you. There's nothing I could ever say that would convince you that God is with you in the midst of your brokenness. He's with you in the midst of your questions. There's nothing I can say that would convince you that Jesus did rise from the dead and that now because of that, we have the hope of resurrection ourselves. We have the hope of eternal life that's found in Jesus. What happens is as you hear me say these things, God begins to light a fire inside of your heart. And when you respond to that fire that God has placed inside of your heart, what happens is you go from being the hurt the broken, the lost, the poor, the abused, the confused, the depressed that are walking down the lonely road to being those that are filled with joy, that are filled with purpose. You're filled with the new life that God alone can give you. You come to the point where you say, Jesus, I don't know where you're taking me, but I'm following you. Jesus, I don't have all the answers. I don't understand everything I read in the Bible. I don't know how someone could live inside of a whale for three days. I don't understand that, but you spoke to me. So I'm following you. And I can put my trust in you. And I can put my hope in you. What happened to me was I remember that day where God lit that fire in my heart and I saw that God wasn't just drawing near to me in my brokenness and in my questioning. He wasn't just drawing near to me in the burning in my heart, but he had been drawing near to me my entire life. Before I was ever born, he had drawn near to me in the cross. Because when sin entered the world and destroyed the good, perfect world God had created and it caused us to have a separation between us and God, our Father, God wasn't willing to live with that. He loved us so much that he came up with a plan. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they said, let's do something about this. We can't live with our people so far away from us. And so they came up with the plan of salvation that Jesus would come, he would take on human flesh that he would live amongst us, that he would teach us about the kingdom of God, that he would go to the cross, that he would bear our sins, that he would die on the cross to pay the full price for all of our sins and remove all of the guilt, all of the shame, everything that separated us from God, he would remove that all from us so that now we could be reconciled to our Father. And you know what gets me the most about all of this? As I was going through and every year I read about the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. I know he he bore my sins so that now I am sinless. But the hardest part for me in the whole story is when I read about Jesus is on the cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because the hardest part of going to the cross wasn't the pain that he endured, it wasn't the beatings, it wasn't the betrayal by his friends, as terrible as all of those things were. The hardest part of the cross for Jesus was that moment where he took on all of our sins, removed them from all of us, and in doing so, he separated himself from God the Father. For the first time, he didn't know what it was like to have the intimacy with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. For the first time, he knew what it was like to be truly human. Separated from God. And God poured out his wrath on Jesus on the cross. The sins were paid for. He was dead. He was buried. But on the third day, he rose. And that proved that he was God and it proves that there is a new life now that's available for us. It means that there's a new hope that we have. It means it doesn't matter what it is that we're going through. It doesn't matter what hurt you might have now. Jesus comes and he brings comfort to you in it. It doesn't matter what questions you might have now and lack of understanding. Jesus comes and he brings clarity to it. But ultimately, our hope isn't in what happens here on this earth to us. Ultimately, our hope is in the resurrection that Jesus brings to us. That we have a new life now, a life that we can never lose. Our ultimate hope is that now we have relationships with God the Father. We're not abandoned. We're not separated. We're not on our own. There is a God who loves us and who has made a way for us to be adopted as sons and as daughters. And it's time we started living like that. Do you guys stand with me and pray? Father, thank you so much for the cross. And thank you so much for the empty grave. And this morning, if Jesus has been speaking to you, as we've been singing our worship songs and we've been listening to the teaching about what this all means, if God has been speaking to you, if there's been a fire that's been burning inside of your heart, then this morning I would encourage you to respond to that. It doesn't matter if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. It doesn't matter if you've been following him for 50 years. We all come to those places of where we've been on the lonely road or where we need something new, something fresh from God, where we need new life. And if that's you this morning, would you be so bold as to raise your hand say, yes, God, you're burning like a fire inside of my heart. I believe in you. I believe that you are the way. Thank you for the forgiveness that you brought for me. Thank you for the new life that is in me. I want to be a son. I want to be a daughter. I want to live my life relationally connected to you. Thank you so much. Let's pray this together, church. Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for coming to me in my brokenness. I believe that you died. I believe that you were buried. I believe that you rose again. I ask you to forgive my sins. I ask you to pour your Holy Spirit out on me and fill me with new life. This day I choose to follow you. Continue to speak to me and lead me into your plans for me. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.